out of paper, out of stock. There's friendly faces around the block. Break loose from the chains that are causing you pain. Call Michael and Stanley, Jim Dwight Green. Hey Rob! Hey Dan! I was thinking about something earlier today. What were you thinking about? I was thinking about how blood alone moves the wheels of history! (laughs) (laughs) Yes indeed. Yeah. Our blood not excluded. Not excluded. No. I hope your ears didn't just get blown out with the headphones. I didn't really think about that before I did No, we're good. Okay, cool. We're good. Cool. Well, on that note, how's it going, man? I'm doing great. Nice. Yeah. I I'm ready to just move right ahead and let's get just on jump the news. into some news. Yeah. Let's just news it up. Okay. All right. <laughs> All right. The news. I don't know if you found anything beyond what I found. But, I did not. Um, okay. Well, not much news this week, but still some, which is impresses me every week that we look for news and we find anything at all. Agreed. <laughs> but um, it looks like there was an appearance of Ellie Kemper on Watch What Happens Live with Andy Cohn, and I guess she shut down any lasting hopes of a reboot of The Office. I did hear about that. Yeah. I I don't know. How many... Did you ever have any hopes of a reboot? Because I personally... To be honest, I would feel very nervous and uneasy at... The- even just the idea of another season of The Office. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm all about like a reunion episode. Me too. I feel the same yeah. way. So that would be fun, but I don't think I would want another full season. Yeah. I just, I don't know. At this point, or it would a feel, rehash with new people. Yeah. And everyone's, you know, aged, you know, it's been almost seven years since the last episode. It's probably been seven years since they finished filming. <laughs> That's also true. And, and, you know, I follow these people on Twitter. They've all, gotten a little older they all look great still yeah they would have to start the storyline far in the future from where they ended and not all of that might translate well i don't know mm-hmm. i just have a hard time believing that all of these people would still be working at dunder mifflin i think dunder mifflin would have to be like shut down at this point for a reboot everyone's just like split right across the world yeah pete and plop or oh wait pete is plop <laughs> Pete and Clark. There you go. Plop and Clark. Right. Are working at Stumpany as ace salesman right. for Jim and Pam. Yeah. And Daryl. Yeah, it'd be weird. I, I yeah. would just prefer a reunion episode. Yeah, I no. agree. Um, but it looks like that's what Ellie Kemper said that we might get. Or at least she said it would be fun. Uh, that that would be a way she would get the Dunder Mifflin crew back together. For said. Yeah, that'd be so, awesome. Yeah, good stuff. Fingers crossed. Indeed. Probably won't, uh, I don't know. Put too much hope into it, but it'd be great. So yeah, move on to the episode. Let's do There's it. Nothing more to say. Jump right in. Let's do it. All right. This episode is the 17th episode of the second season, Dwight's Speech. It was written by Paul Lieberstein and directed by Charles McDougal, our friend from the Christmas party. And it was viewed by 8.4 million people. Back up there. Yeah. So it seems like they found a comfortable level. It seems, seems to go up and down. I have a feeling there's probably just other things that come on that draw a decent chunk of viewers away once, right. in, a, once in a while. 
But I feel like eight and a half million is a good amount. Oh, it's great. No, no, no. I'm saying when it drops down to like five for me. Right. There's got to be like a sporting event or something. Right. But I wonder if that, I guess we'll find out as the podcast progresses, if that continues to happen in later seasons, uh, even when there's sporting events or if, you know, the show's kind of taken a foothold enough that people don't care. Right. But we'll see. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I was thinking this episode, uh, for our listeners already talked about it with you, obviously we would kind of go about things in a slightly different way and maybe start off with some trivia instead of peppering in the trivia we remember throughout the episode as we talk about it. And that way we, we get it all nailed down without forgetting anything along the way. Exactly. So this is assuming that, uh, everyone is listening has seen this episode at least once and not relying on us to summarize it before watching it. Yeah. I, so. I I really find it hard to believe that anyone would listen to this podcast had they not at least gone through the series once. Me too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so yeah, let's move on to trivia. Trivia! <laughs> I saw that, yeah, one interesting note is that in Creed's talking head, when he speaks Chinese uh, to his friends in Hong Kong... He actually is speaking real Chinese. I always just kind of assumed he was saying gibberish. Oh, really? Yeah. At least, I I mean, it's Creed. The last two words he says in the sentence, I think it's ni hao. Yeah, I knew that was actually Chinese, so that's fair. Right. Um, But yeah, it also looks like he gives his shout out in Mandarin, even though his friends are in Hong Kong where they speak primarily Cantonese. But we don't know his friends. Maybe they do speak Mandarin. Interesting. That's Kong. an interesting little tidbit. Yeah. Yeah. It looks like in Canada, this episode aired the day before it aired in the United States due to a scheduling conflict with skating with celebrities. Skating so. with celebrities. <laughs> Sounds better yeah. to me than dancing with the stars. I'd rather see skating with the stars in, in the States. Yeah. <laughs> do you think it was all Canadian celebrities? How many Canadian? I'm sure there's a good amount. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe there's a B-list American celebrity peppered <laughs> in there somewhere. <laughs> it's how they... It's funny because I was watching... Uh, Carrie and I are obsessed with the Bake Off series. Right. And every once in a while, they'll do a benefit series for cancer, and they'll have celebrities on there. Mm-hmm. They always have at least one American celebrity. They had uh, Terry Hatcher in one run, and they also had John Lithgow do huh. one. Yeah, that's pretty great. It's always such a random smattering of celebrities, too. Oh, like yeah. Terry Hatcher and John Lithgow. <laughs> I, and, I know, yeah. Yeah. John Lithgow had just done some show where he played Churchill. Maybe The Crown? Maybe okay, not The Crown. so he was promoting that as well. Kind of, yeah. And that's he was a big enough celebrity in Britain because of that, that that's right. why he was chosen for the the benefit, but... Yeah, I would imagine most people in the UK are familiar with John Lithgow. He's been oh for sure for a long time. It was just at the time he did it, he had a resurgence of popularity because of that. Right. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Well, I wonder who was in Skating with Celebrities. I don't know. We'll have to look into it. Yeah, let's do that. Let's add it to our list. <laughs> Canadian Skating with Celebrities from uh, the date this episode aired that I did not write down. Wow. Oh, no. I really screwed the pooch on that Oh, one. man. Uh, the air date was March 2nd, 2006. All right. I don't know why, but when I did a Google search, uh, one-handed with my phone, I did a search for the Dwight's speech. <laughs> Take that as you will. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, let's see. What else do we have? Um, yeah, some trivia about the speech itself, which I found especially interesting because you and I have 
talked about this and debated it and then never looked for any conclusive information. Mm. Um, it looks like portions of his speech, I always assumed the entire thing was a Mussolini speech. Portions are drawn from Lenin. No revolution is worth anything unless it can defend itself. Mm-hmm. Mussolini was blood alone, moves the wheels of history. Mm-hmm. And it was a privilege to fight. Mm-hmm. Um, and he also drew on Karl Marx, but it was from the book, The Communist Manifesto, and uh, not a speech. Yeah, it's kind of funny, too, because Karl Marx wasn't really known for his public speaking. He wasn't a he wasn't no, a, a dictator so. at all. He's just he was a, a dictator, but I think he did give speeches. Oh, maybe, really? As a professor? Oh, yeah, fair I think enough. He was a professor. I can see I, that, but he, he didn't have, have like a an impassioned rally with a bunch of rabid followers. No, I yeah. mean I don't know. Well, I mean he did kind of invent and spread communism, so I yeah. assume at some points he had impassioned rallies with followers. Maybe. Although I don't know how much he spread it versus like different ideologues that stepped into the more dictator type roles like Lenin or something. Right. It's uh, pretty inadequate. Well, all I know is that Karl Marx wasn't a fascist dictator like the other two. Right. So. He wasn't a politician. Right. Point. Well, anyway, uh, yeah, still interesting, too, that Dwight being very right wing as he establishes throughout the series. And, you know, he's always mocking liberals and like, you know, soft minded mm-hmm do-goodedness like and like specifically calling out liberals a lot fair enough he never identifies as conservative but he specifically criticizes liberals but yeah interesting that he draws from the most extreme liberal ideology that exists yeah so yeah it's an odd little detail it is yeah yeah what made him pick up a, a marx book in general yeah i don't know maybe Jim just grabbed some stuff from the Communist Manifesto because he thought it would be funny. That's true. It could I mean, be. <laughs> of all the sources he would draw from, I could see him right. taking that. Yeah. <laughs> um, so let's see what else we got in terms of trivia. Um, this is something, It's I don't know how much it's trivia specifically, but it is a point that I had not thought of myself. Yeah, I saw this too. Yeah. Yeah, this is interesting. That uh, Dwight's award may have come at the expense of Jim when he got that sale that Jim said is 25% of his annual commission. Yeah. Earlier. But I don't know. Do you think Jim would have made it to number one had he made the sale and not Dwight? I'm going to guess no. Right. But I think he would have been higher than number nine. Oh, for sure. And Dwight may not have reached number one. Right. Yeah. That's the point. That is the point. Yeah. Dwight might have been the best, but yeah, that sale definitely would have helped push him over. Oh, yeah. And I feel like that could have pushed him from, like, you know, position five to position one easily, oh. depending on the size of it. I so. mean, it sounded pretty big, so yeah. Yeah. Um, let's see what else we have. Um, I'm going to skip this next one because this doesn't really have any bearing on anything. Um, and then, yeah, I found this interesting, too, that according to Paul Lieberstein, who wrote the episode and is Toby, uh, Jim never went on his Australian vacation. And uh, he either canceled it or moved his trip to the following week so he can go to Pam's wedding. Hmm. Yeah. Which I find especially interesting because he specifically mentions to Pam at the very end of the episode, and we'll talk about, you know, when we get there, that the tickets are non-refundable. Right. So. Yeah, could have just eaten the cost. Maybe he was too depressed after the, you know, happenings at the end of this season. Yeah. But uh, it is interesting that Paul Lieberstein decided just uh, mm-hmm. for his own headcanon that will never even be mentioned again in the series that Jim behaved a certain way. 
Yeah. I like that. I like thinking that writers put as much insane thought into the things they write as we're doing right now. <laughs> <laughs> like maybe Jan felt this way, you know, not, you know, Jan is played by an actor who knows how Melora Hardin felt. Right. She might not have given it anything. Or how she interpreted how Jan <laughs> yeah. felt. Yeah. <laughs> maybe her interpretation was I'm hungry and I am going to get out of here in an hour. And I just like chop, chop, let's do this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, and I thought this last little bit of trivia that we have is also really interesting that uh, I never noticed it before. I don't know if you did, looked for it, uh, but I did not. No. But it looks like uh, about halfway through Michael's speech later in the episode, uh, you can see that they used a shot uh, that was mirrored for whatever reason, and there's a uh, close person to the front who has a name tag that says Luke that is backwards. So, yeah, I wonder why. <laughs> if there's even a reason maybe it just so happened that the camera caught it that way and would it catch something mirrored though wouldn't that have to be a specific decision unless they were shooting the camera into a mirror no i mean it would i mean it's possible they had to they only had a small place to set up the cameras but they wanted the shot to be from hmm. like the left of the stage perspective versus the right which is the only place they could set up Right, that makes sense. That's all I can think of, I don't know. Yeah, me too, but that's what I was saying. I feel like there has to be some intention behind yeah. it. Who knows what? I was going to say, I know a lot of phone companies, Samsung included, their selfie camera is always mirrored for whatever reason. Oh, interesting. I think it makes it easier for people while they're looking at the phone to line up the shot properly huh. in a weird way. Interesting. Yeah. I don't know, though. Yeah, me neither. I don't see how that would apply to this, so... No, me neither. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's all I got. Uh, I want to move on to the episode itself. Let's do it. All right. 23rd episode. Oh, man. We almost didn't get it. <laughs> I, know, I was going to do it. <laughs> I'm on top of that shit. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> all right. The episode begins in the main area of the office and Michael is throwing a football back and forth with Dwight. Mm -hmm. He appears to be going through a thought exercise where each of them volleys an idea back and forth. Talking about like trying to negotiate something with corporate. They never specify. It's super vague. And yeah, they spend a very long time not providing any detailed information. Right. Just like if corporate says yes. Yeah. But if they don't, it's almost, yeah. (laughs) They're just honestly looking to say anything as an excuse to throw the ball back. Yeah, it, it almost sounds like the worst improv ever. It just hurts. people that have nothing to say and won't stop talking. It's pretty bad. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's ridiculous. We see a shot of Angela looking very irritated and mm-hmm. Jim looking very irritated. And uh, Jim is also sitting there as the football sales right in front of his eye line over and over again, back and forth, right. it seems like. And uh <laughs> This goes on long enough until, or up until Michael botches one of the throws and it just goes right into Jim's desk, smashing a whole bunch <laughs> yeah. of stuff onto the ground. Such a hard throw. It seemed like they were throwing harder and harder with each go around. Very hard. Yeah. Well, I, I kind of get that weirdly. Have you ever done like an idea ball exercise back and forth with someone? No. Okay. <laughs> well, I feel like uh, a couple times I have as a kid, eventually you just start going harder because there's nothing else to do. Yeah. That's all you can really do. Okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, he smashes the stuff off very hard. And uh, Jim finally speaks up and asks if they could not. 
And Michael immediately refuses, saying he has to do it. Uh, he can't be pent up in his office all day long in that little box. Right. <laughs> he needs to think. And he, uh, as he says that, he catches the football from Dwight and does a little Heisman pose. Yeah. <laughs> Shouts out Heisman. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, then he throws it to Kevin. Just shouts Kevin as he throws it, and uh, Kevin was not expecting it and no. grabs it and is smashed back against the filing. Yeah, cabinet. also another really hard throw. Yeah, <laughs> and he kind of gives Michael a look like it was too hard. Like, uh-huh. what the hell? Right. And he throws it back very hard, like, angrily. Yeah. It struck me, yeah. It, just, it was yeah. a revenge throw. It was a revenge throw. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, Michael uh, compliments his catch. His own catch. Oh, was it his own catch? Yeah, he catches it, and he's like, ooh, nice catch. Oh, I figured it was complimenting Kevin's. <laughs> and he does this <laughs> But I guess it weird... was after he caught it. <laughs> he puts his hand up and, like, angles it down at the ground and, like, runs with the ball like this. I assume, uh, I assume that's got to be someone's famous pose of some kind. Or, like, a uh, maybe, like, a touchdown dance of sorts or something. You know what, also, I think I've seen that. I'm just trying to think of where I've seen that. I think it's from Ace Ventura. Which I assume maybe was drawing it from somewhere, but even if it wasn't, Michael would definitely, knowing Michael, be drawing it from Ace Ventura. Right. Of Jim Carrey playing football. I feel like he did that exact same <laughs> physical motion of his arms and legs. It's true. Um, and yeah, he tries to throw it to Oscar, gets intercepted by Jim, and uh, Jim starts playing keep away against Michael. He tosses it to Phyllis, and Phyllis tosses it to, uh, let's see. Creed. My place. Creed. Yeah. And uh, then Creed goes and tosses it to Ryan, who's just kind of walking by. Mm -hmm. And Dwight comes up from behind and tackles him very violently, shouting fumble. Pretty much just pounces on his back, smashing him face down to the floor. I mean, it was a legit football tackle. They're just not wearing pads. (laughs) Right. Yeah. (laughs) And uh, (laughs) he picks up the ball and runs with it. He smashes Creed against the back filing cabinets. So he right. goes down very hard. Yeah. Like, frighteningly hard, considering his age. Right, I know. <laughs> then he runs forward, smashes into Stanley, who seems to be coming back from reception. I hope they had some, like, padding or a mattress. <laughs> I was going to mention this, too. They had to have a mattress back there, yeah. because Stanley flies off screen. He, yeah. like... I, I feel like the actor almost took like a running start and then just leapt off to the side. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, he was kind of running backwards <laughs> to try and keep his balance, and then he lost it. But I, I feel, yeah, the way he does it, it's like a cartoon character. It is, it's yeah. Surprisingly great physical acting from <laughs> it, Stanley. It was. I don't see enough of it. I mean, Dwight certainly helped him along. Dwight pushed him, like, legit. That, yeah. That wasn't just like, oh, I'm, I'm acting, I'm going to pretend to push you. No, he... Straight up ran into Stanley and pushed him back. So, That's true. Yeah. There's a sincerity in the physical acting in this scene that evokes a Jim Carrey <laughs> or a Michael Richards. Yeah, for sure. And that's really intense for people that aren't them, or for them for that matter. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, Stanley goes down off screen yeah. super fast and hard. And uh, Dwight does a celebration hike to Michael. I love that while the ball is in the air to Michael, you see that Michael, just all the wind is taken out of his sails. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Dwight's enthusiasm has turned him off. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. He catches it, and then he checks that Ryan's okay. Yeah. (laughs) Only Ryan calls out. (laughs) I know, right? (laughs) Ryan is still on the ground and says he's fine. Yeah. 
Michael sighs a sigh of relief and then shouts, Pam! And spins around. <laughs> spins around. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> that was a good cold open. It was, yeah. Definitely the most intense and physical one we've had yet. Yeah, yeah. it was fun. Yeah. I wish that there had been a way to clip it, but I feel like without the no, visual yeah. component, there's really nothing that gets across besides people just randomly shouting things. Right. Um, certainly no long, drawn-out silence from the booze crews. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, so yeah, from here we get the credits, and then we come back to the episode. You know what bugs me about this episode? At least, at least on Netflix, when I hit the skip intro button... It took me to, like, the last three seconds of the song instead of skipping it entirely. Oh, really? Drove me crazy every time. Some of them do that. I find a lot of times if you hit skip intro for The Office, it'll you'll get the little blong blong. Yeah. This was a little more. It yeah, little, no, yeah, I feel like the blong blong, that's, like, maybe one second. Right, and that's fine. And I yeah. can, yeah, that doesn't phase me at all. That does sound annoying. Yeah. I also don't like when it uh, goes too far, you know? Yeah, yeah, you miss like the first word of the cold open or something. Yeah, yeah. Get together, Netflix. (laughs) You have one year, (laughs) or do they even year and a half? Year and a half. Okay. Yeah. All right. So the episode opens with uh, everyone seated at their desks finally, Mm -hmm. and Dwight is loudly wondering what new luxury items he should get. What does he go over? Is a TiVo is one of them? Yeah, TiVos are on sale. Maybe I should get a TiVo and then a DVD burner. Right. (laughs) And he uh, comments to Jim that Jim is so lucky he doesn't have this problem. (laughs) And then he has a question to ask him. (laughs) He says, what was the ninth place prize again? A a loaf of bread? Cugino's pizza. Oh, great. Tasty, terrific pizza. Hmm. Question. Do their pizzas play DVDs? (laughs) (laughs) Oh. Dwight. So <laughs> annoying. But I like that he's capable of sticking it to Jim if he has a reason to. <laughs> Probably any chance he gets. Totally, uh, but he's... Jim certainly gives him a reason. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, they give each other reasons. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, it's pretty obnoxious. <laughs> um, from here, we get a talking head with Jim where he's explaining that Dwight was the top salesperson in the company this year and he won a little prize money and he's going to be honored at some convention. And Jim says it is literally the highest honor that a Northeastern Pennsylvania-based mid-sized paper company regional salesman can attain. (laughs) So, (laughs) Um, And from here, we cut to Jim sitting in the break room with uh, Pam. And he's complaining about Dwight, you know, asking what he did to deserve this. Mm Mm-hmm. What, she, does she, what does she say to him? Like, oh, do you need a tissue? Yeah, she, she <laughs> asks him if he's going to cry. Makes right. fun of him a bit. You yeah. know, gentle teasing. Yeah. He seems to be enjoying it. Mm-hmm. And then Phyllis comes in and asks Pam, uh, or actually says to Pam that she heard she got her wedding dress and wants to know if she has any pictures of it. Right. And Phyllis kind of glances at Jim and says, oh, yeah, you know. Says yeah, that Pam gets uncomfortable at the question like mm-hmm. immediately and then... Phyllis turns around, sees Jim, and kind of understands. Yeah, and Pam kind of, you know, even with seeing, yeah, she says she'll show it to her later, you know, she doesn't want to bust him out now. Right. At this point, I think Pam understands that Jim does get uncomfortable with the wedding stuff. Oh, right. Regardless of, you know, it's hard to tell how she thinks he feels about her, because it does seem like she's trying to protect his feelings... By avoiding wedding talk while he's around. 
Yeah, well, she knows that he's still into her. So, yeah. Michael okay. told her like I two guess. episodes ago, basically. Yeah. Yeah. He's still into me. He said he was still into me on the booze cruise. Right. Shut it, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. I, I mean, ending the talking head with her in like two seconds after uh, Jim, you know, beelines for the exit of the room. Right. Says that they'll catch up later. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, in a talking head, she explains that she is doing all of her wedding planning at the office because she has to, and it can get awkward since some people get weird and she doesn't want to offend Angela or someone. <laughs> yeah. Clearly. I, I feel like, yeah, she uses Angela a lot as a uh, fake Jim, you mm-hmm. know, in this context. Mm-hmm. And it's a good person to use because it's Angela. You can assume almost everything's going to offend her on some level. <laughs> it's true. So... She's probably not even wrong, necessarily. Yeah. Not that she cares. I feel like Angela would be upset that she's doing this on the clock. Yeah. Even though it doesn't affect Angela in the least, whether or not she's on the clock. But right, she's the type of person. And she also seems like, at least with Phyllis, maybe with Pam, she's the kind of person who, if she can make someone feel bad, she feels good. <laughs> yeah, it's true. <laughs> it's a little smirk. Yeah. Yeah. She's a pleasant person, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Um, so yeah, from here we cut back to the bullpen. <laughs> we see Dwight is now leaning back in his chair and he's just got grapes draped from his fingertips just over his mouth. He's just, you know, right. eating them. <laughs> and uh, I feel like Jim is just staring at him, just disgusted and just mind blown that Dwight's taking it to this level. Of course. <laughs> and Michael comes in and looks at Dwight and says, that's what she said. <laughs> When he sees him, and I, lo- I love that Dwight chuckles, goes, ha, and this is, he doesn't get it. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, Michael explains, uh, because of grapes, seductive. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> Are grapes seductive? I've never, I've never had a sensual or sexual experience involving grapes before. Personally, I have not either, but I think that what Michael is getting at was kind of like an old world, you know, like a Mediterranean king or something draped on some kind of a stone yeah. bed or a throne and he, you his know, isn't eating grapes himself. Yeah, he has a woman who's yeah. draping grapes into his mouth this, until he waves her away. Even so, I don't see how that's sexual in nature. I don't think it is sexual in nature, but uh, I think maybe <laughs> Michael is, you know, just misconstruing power for sexuality. Fair enough. I will also say, actually thinking about it, I didn't think about this when I was writing it or watching it, but uh, when we went to school in Orlando, um, I was friends with a girl who I won't name, um, who worked at a club and would get like body painted mm-hmm. and would talked about how one of the parts of her job was to drape, to hold grapes over the mouths of men in the VIP mm. and feed them. So I guess it is. But still, I, I never went I mean, to that club. Still in the VIP in it, but she's still in the handmaiden role. That's true. I think even in the VIP, it's about power and exclusivity that you have. Right, a beautiful woman feeding you grapes. It's not necessarily yeah. a sexual act in any way. I knew her too, by the way. Oh no, I know who you, I know that you know who I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. I just felt that. Right. right. I guess I could have said we know. I didn't think about right. that. <laughs> That's what I was. Yeah, someone we knew. We went to college together, Dan. Did we? <laughs> <laughs> feels like we just met 
Um, yeah, no, sorry, I said that weird. I <laughs> know that I know you were friends with this person. Too. Yeah, yeah. It was I mean, more. I was thinking more of just not like being conscious to not say her you, name. You yeah. more than me. You were her neighbor. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. Well, anyhow, uh, seductive grapes. <laughs> <laughs> I don't get it either. I'm with Dwight. Yeah. Um. So yeah, Michael sits down uh, next to Dwight. Asks him if he's ready for the big speech. And he sits down on his desk. And Dwight says that he's ready. He kind of downplays it a bit, and you know, says it's not really that big a speech. And uh, Michael refutes that. Says it is absolutely important. <laughs> <laughs> and then turns the camera. <laughs> Nailed the joke. <laughs> Points to the <laughs> was bound to happen eventually. <laughs> yeah, but I like that Dwight doesn't miss a beat to be Michael's yes man, and he holds up the grapes excitedly and points to them at the camera. Yeah. <laughs> when Michael brags that he nailed the joke. Right. And, uh, yeah, Michael tells Dwight that this is going to be the biggest speech of his life. <laughs> it's hilarious to me. Had he not said anything and Dwight was just as nonchalant throughout this episode as he is now, he probably, I don't want to, you know, get too far ahead, but he wouldn't, uh, he wouldn't have had that like anxiety attack. No, I think Michael a hundred percent causes yeah, the anxiety. This is like a completely manufactured crisis. But then because of this crisis, he also leads him to, you know, figure out a way to deliver an impassioned speech. It's true. I guess that wouldn't have happened either. That's so. true. He would have just gotten up there and said thanks and <laughs> I mean, named some people. And We saw the deleted scene of Michael or of Dwight's practice speech before Michael had any input where <laughs> yeah. he ends on the word etc. Yeah. <laughs> Talking about his various sales techniques right. and categorization <laughs> techniques that he employs. <laughs> oh man. So yeah, it probably would have been a disaster. <laughs> Either that or the people sitting in the crowd would have just been like, eh, okay, whatever. Yeah, I think it would have been a milk toast uh I don't think they really cared about hearing from the top salesman of the year. No, not at all. Yeah. I don't think Dwight would have even ending an et cetera would not have gotten the open hostility Michael's going to get later. <laughs> it's so true. <laughs> something really unappealing about something trying, someone trying way too hard. <laughs> yeah. <and> failing. <laughs> um, all right. So from here, we see Michael explaining to the camera that he won that award before and gave a speech twice, two years in a row. And he says that he misses getting recognition like he used to for a job well done. And uh, he shows the camera his plaque and his certificate that he got. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, he explains that uh, the second year he won, they stopped making plaques. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah, I, I put it in my notes. I don't know if you noticed that uh, in his cabinet that he has opened that he got the plaque and the certificate from. Yeah. There's a hanging Dunder Mifflin newsletter that uh is announcing the um what do you call it uh promotion promotion yes of jan gould interesting yeah huh or jan levinson rather okay or no i guess it is jan gould yeah maybe at that time she was just going by just gould oh so that makes sense i didn't even think yeah. about it from that perspective my first thought was she was single but so it was that she was jan gould and then the marriage started to Turned sour, yeah, and so then she so added her last name Jan back Levinson in. Gould. Yeah, and then no more Gould. Right. <laughs> so I was wondering, do you think that Michael put up this newsletter when she first got promoted, or do you think uh, he put it up after they started their fling, and then maybe took it down, and then after she kissed him again in the elevator, he put, <laughs> put it back, it back up? up? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, 
I feel like it'd be risky business to have it up before anything happened between them. Yeah. She comes to his office and he has to go into his cabinet for some reason. And inside, the only thing he has up on the side hanging is a picture of her talking about her being promoted to his boss. I mean, you could kind of flip that as like he's kissing her ass like, oh, I was really excited when you got promoted. That meant you're my new boss. And I just wanted to save this to... That's true. And Michael would be something. stupid enough to think that somehow that wouldn't come off as creepy, creepy or transparently ass kissing. Right. I feel like to the point where it would be a turn off, even if there wasn't the creepy sexual <laughs> aspect to it. Yeah. <laughs> That's interesting. It makes me wonder if he had somewhat of a crush on her before, because he doesn't seem to have romantic feelings for Jan prior to that. Just seemingly random kiss. No, he doesn't. And then all of a sudden, once he realizes there's a little bit of an attraction there from her to him, he's all about it. And they had been drinking, I feel like. Oh, yeah. He wouldn't have necessarily even ever tried anything if not for that, too. No, and she honestly is kind of the one who made the first move. Yeah. They were hugging and embracing, and like there was that pause as they were about to pull away, and then she leans in for that first kiss. Right. And then he leans in for the second more passionate yeah, kiss. So that's true. Yeah, I don't know. That's interesting. She really put herself out there. <laughs> she slit her wrists. She'd had some drinks. <laughs> A number of drinks, if I remember correctly. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, back to this episode. Uh, where do we leave off? We cut from here to Dwight. Pacing around Michael's office and looking more than a little panicked. And uh, asks Michael if it would be okay if he gives a long, drawn-out thanks. (laughs) time. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you, Mr. Blank. Thank you very, very, very. Very. And then Michael cuts him (laughs) off. No, that would be horrible. Don't do that. Since they're salespeople, they need uh, to be entertained. That's what they're looking for. And we have a clip from here. What if I give a really long extended thank you, for instance? Thank you, Mr. Blank. Thank you very, very... That would look terrible. These are mostly salesmen, and salesmen expect to be entertained, and you are the main act. When I was in the sixth grade, I was a finalist in our school's spelling bee. It was me against Raj Patel. And I misspelled in front of the entire school the word failure i can't do this that's because you're incapable of doing it because you don't know how because you have no skills dwight there's no way i can possibly teach you what you need to know about public speaking by speech time okay but i can teach you enough so that you don't embarrass me or the company okay deal i'll do whatever you say no questions asked well if you have a question you should ask me i'll try and think of one don't don't try to think of a question to humor me just try not to be such an idiot Is that an insult, or is that part of the public speaking advice? Insult. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's good stuff. (laughs) I love how thoughtful Dwight sounds when he comes up with a question on the spot. When? (laughs) (laughs) I also love that Michael's just... Really compounding the anxiety within Dwight when he says, there's no way I can teach you about public speaking before your speech. Yeah. You know, just, you're doomed to fail from the start. I'm sorry, Dwight. It's, you know what? You're done. What I was thinking, which I, I didn't give it this much thought in any other watch throughs, mm-hmm. 
is Michael's two speeches probably went horribly. Yeah. And he has a lot of emotional investment in Dwight failing because it'll justify to him that Uh, it's not that Michael failed. It's that the task itself was impossible to succeed at. Right. So if Dwight also fails at the same task, Michael's okay. Yeah. And then, you know, later when Dwight succeeds, what's the first thing Michael does? You know, 30 seconds in, he slinks out of the room. Right. And doesn't stay. He can't even watch it. He can't stand the yeah. Dwight is doing better than he ever did. Yeah. Interesting. So I'm thinking he's purposefully sabotaging Dwight because yeah. he just, you know, has a lot. He's trying to preserve his stake. own ego, his own, his own hierarchical dominance over Dwight. Exactly. In a sense. Yeah. And just his own, you know, competency in his own mind, I guess. Yeah. Huh. That's funny. Just a theory, obviously, but yeah. So I have a funny spelling bee story. Let's do it. I can't remember. It was either third or fourth grade. Maybe it's even second, because it was the words we were spelling were pretty basic. Okay. And I made it to the final round. Last two people thought I had this thing in the bag. Uh-huh. And I get a softball word, and I'm just like, oh, fucking sweet. What was the word? I'm going to nail this. <laughs> it was door. Door. So, of course, I get cocky, <laughs> and I say door. D-O-R. Door. Only, I kind of slurred together the O's. Oh, no. So, so it, it sounded like I just said D-O-R. Oh, And then no. I said door. And as soon as I said door to finish the, you know, that I had completed (laughs) spelling the word, the floor just fell out from below me on the inside. Oh, man. I was so embarrassed and so upset at myself. So I understand how Dwight feels from his talking head. I actually, uh, my spelling bee story is not nearly as dramatic as yours, but (laughs) the only spelling bee I can remember partaking in, I want to say first or second grade, I got an easy word as my first word, and I was always a really good speller. Mm -hmm. And I I don't remember what the word was at this point, to be honest, but I remember that I misheard what they said. And then I said the wrong word and spelled the wrong word and then said it again, and they said no. No. And then they said the correct word, and that was it. They just said, sit down, and it was over. It was like, isn't the point oh. of saying it before and after that they to know? To make if, sure that they know yeah. what word they're about to spell? Yeah, they should have stopped you. Unless my memory is wrong, but yeah, I think that that was just, it was over. Interesting. Yeah, yeah the whole thing's rigged. <laughs> <laughs> but, mm. yeah, not nearly as dramatic as your own, or Dwight's spelling bee. <laughs> Stories. I bet Michael has a great one too. It's funny to me that all these years later, I can still remember the word. <laughs> yeah, I just remember it because I, I, I spelled it right. I just slurred the O's, and I was spelling it so fast because I was so cocky that I knew it, and just happy that I was about to win. You were your own Raj Patel. I was. I was. It's rough stuff. <laughs> <laughs> It's okay. I'm I'm pretty confident in my spelling abilities these days, so I've obviously gotten past it. I believe you can definitely spell door. <laughs> Never forget now. No. <laughs> All right. Um so from here we cut back to the office and Pam is on the phone with her mom. It sounds like I actually wrote flowers, but uh 
when I went back to mm, clip, I noticed uh, they were talking about cards. Oh, I thought Co- it was invitations. Wedding yeah, invitations. it was exactly. Yeah. It was wedding invitations right. and cards. That's what I meant by yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't know why I thought flowers. I think I would just latched onto the color, maybe orange. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, while she's talking to her mom, she notices Jim looking at her and kind of smiles awkwardly and spins around in her seat so that she's not facing him anymore. Mm-hmm. And uh, Jim picks up a phone and yeah, I made note of this because I thought it was very strange in retrospect, thinking about the episode critically. He picks up his desk phone and without dialing any numbers, instantly just says, hey, I'd like to speak to one of your travel agents. And somehow that works for him. <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> so I'm not sure what he did there. He's just got the travel agency on speed dial. <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> just queued up somehow yeah. on his phone. <laughs> Maybe he knew he was going to do it. He was just waiting for a moment where he couldn't take it anymore. I mean, he I, like I, I watched it a couple times to double check. He doesn't press a single button. Yeah, no, I, I know. Up the, yeah. That's the only logical way that that could have happened. It is. <laughs> it's pretty illogical to have a travel agency on your speed dial. So. <laughs> I feel like this is one of those things that makes me think of that Mr. Show skit with uh, the actors where they don't know how to do anything in mm-hmm. real life because they're just actors. Oh. And yeah. like they're he's trying the director's trying to have two people kiss and they're just like awkwardly like one of them will go in for the kiss and just like kiss the other person on the eye or <laughs> the forehead or just the side of the scalp and yeah. Just like, no, 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 and goes up and paints both their mouths with peanut butter, and then they just go into this very impassioned embrace. (laughs) (laughs) Does John Krasinski know how phones work? Eh, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) I would also say actors, uh, whenever they use video games in movies or TV shows, I don't know if you've noticed this, but as an avid gamer, it always sticks out to me. 95% of the time, I would say... Anybody, no matter who it is, no matter if they seem to be a gamer in real life or not, maybe it's just a joke at this point, will always hold a controller in a way that no human has ever held a controller before. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, I guess I never <laughs> like really... They'll have their one of their hands out flat like they're holding a pizza or a tray, and then the controller will be sitting on top, and they'll just be mashing it with random <laughs> fingers jutting down or something. <laughs> That's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, it's out there. <laughs> um but yeah, so Jim magically calls a travel agent and asks to speak to somebody. And he explains uh, that he's going to take a trip in a talking head. He's going to get out of town for a while and go someplace that's not here. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, we cut back to Jim on the phone with the agent. Now, I guess he got transferred. Mm-hmm. And he's joking that he doesn't know where to go. And he probably should have considered that before he called. Yeah, just this charming Jim shtick. I feel like a good agent would have just looked at some of their more expensive packages and started trying to sell. Oh, yeah. but I mean, that's kind of a dream scenario. Yeah, for sure. Just someone calling in like, hey, mm-hmm. I need a vacation, but I have no idea where to start. Yeah. Just start loading them up with all of your premium packages. Mm-hmm. Get that commish. I mean, if more people did that, travel agents would still be a thing that existed. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> true. <laughs> the internet saw an end to that. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know what's funny? I used a uh, travel agent one time or something. Actually, it was my first Radiohead concert. Oh, wow. 
and I went with a couple of friends from school, and I had, I went to the, it was like just a AAA travel agency, what have you, uh-huh. and just like, I need a, a motel by the venue, and I need you to map out a route for me to go. Nice. And they did it. It was free. They printed you up some map quests. Yep. That's exactly <laughs> what it was. Oh, yeah. I mean, at the time, that's like as good as it gets. It was. And, you know, you didn't have smartphones, so you didn't have a map in not. your car. You had to print out map quest directions. Oh, yeah. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. So I have used the travel agent. I mean, obviously, we've progressed to the point where I wouldn't need that anymore. But No, I think you'd be hard-pressed to find one. It's true. You felt you did. It's true. But yeah, that is interesting. I never have. So yeah, you got to do something that people won't get to do from this point on out for the most part. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Um, so let's see. Uh, from here, we, uh, yeah. So when Jim is talking to the travel agency, he's actually sitting in the background of the scene that's established. And in the foreground, we see Angela angrily march up to the thermostat and change it. And we get like a little shot of Oscar and then a talking head where he's explaining that he comes in early and sets the temp to 66 degrees. He likes it a little cooler than most people. They might not like it as cool as he does, but he doesn't care. Yeah, he says it keeps him focused. He does. That's right. And, you know, 66 is comfortable if you're moving around and doing a lot of physical activity. Yeah, that's cool for just sitting. If you're sitting idly, you would get cold Oh yeah, pretty quick, I feel like. In my place where the AC is built into the wall now and works well, yeah, if I put it down to 68 and I don't have some kind of long sleeves or something covering me, yeah, it gets really cold. So 66, you'd be freezing. Oh, yeah. And, uh, yeah, it's. I also find this weird, like, what is this B-plot? I mean, you know, I like this episode I'm generally. Glad, but. Okay, I'm glad you brought that up. I wasn't going to say anything until the end of the episode, but... It doesn't go anywhere. No, and it's not funny. It's not. There's nothing to it. No. It's not interesting. Yeah, very strange. I don't know why they decided to include it in this. And to be honest, we went through the deleted scenes before we started this episode. There was at least three or four laugh out loud moments that they cut to put those in. That's right. I don't get it. I'd say the only thing that this could possibly be is it's all... Just leading up to Kevin's 69 joke that's eventually going to happen, which which is not worth the journey. It's really not. Yeah. And uh, part of me thinks maybe another reason they did it is because they were afraid this was too much of a Dwight and Michael heavy episode. And they just needed to include more people than just the main players like Jim and Pam and just find some excuse I guess. I really don't know. Maybe as a juxtaposition to during Dwight's speech, how we see them still doing it as he's saying to unite that they're not united. But even so, it's a very weak very juxtaposition weak. if it yeah. is there. Agreed. Yeah, I don't get it. Me either. We'll uh, we'll have to get Paul Lieberstein on the horn one of these days. And <laughs> yeah, I'd be like, what were you thinking? Yeah, take him to task over this episode. Yeah. Like, listen, 99% of your work, phenomenal. Some of the best stuff we've ever seen in our life. But what were you thinking with this one yeah. 45 seconds of this one episode this one time? <laughs> but yeah, very weird. So yeah, from here we uh, are 
Cutting back to Michael and Dwight, and uh, they're still going over Dwight's speech and any tips, and we have another clip. But seriously, what's the difference between a salesman and a saleswoman? Saleswoman has a vagina. It's a joke, Dwight. It's not a sex ed class. But I'm right. Yeah, you're right about the difference between a man and a woman, but not about the punchline to the joke, right? The difference between a salesman and a saleswoman is boobs. Hey, do you remember the speeches that you gave? I do, both of them. Could I have a copy of one of them? No, no, they would remember. Look, it doesn't matter what you say. It just matters that you're saying something that people care about. Yeah? All right, here we go. Watch this. Attention, everybody. Attention, please. I have some very great news from corporate. We had a wonderful quarter, and as a result, all of you are getting bonuses for $1,000. Yeah! Congratulations. You see that? You see how they responded to me? In that moment, I had them. That is so great about the bonus! No, no, it's not true. I was just talking. So just go out there and say anything. Delete it up. They're a great audience. Go ahead, get the wallpaper. Wallpaper the ceiling if you want. Excuse me? May I have your attention, please? There has been an accident on 84 West. Cars have skidded off the road into the safety railing. Several cars have flipped. There is broken glass everywhere. Several people are injured. Do we know anyone who is in the accident? Brad Pitt. Also, there will be no bonuses. Why would this affect our bonuses? They're unrelated. Is Brad okay? He will never act again. Also, this branch is closing. What the hell's going on here? Are we out of jobs? Yes. This is karma because of what he did to Jennifer Aniston. Just kidding. Dwight was kidding, and I don't know why, because it wasn't funny, and it was just horrible. Michael? Yeah? You said we were getting bonuses. All right, everybody in the conference room now. Let's go. Let's do it. Cancel wallpaper. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's funny. Cancel the wallpaper. Yeah. Poor Stanley. <laughs> I know. You're so happy to be... Telling his wife the good news. Oh, boy. I also want to point out, I really enjoy what Steve Carell is doing while Dwight is uh, giving his fake announcements. Mm -hmm. And that when Kelly pipes up and asks, is Brad Pitt going to be okay? (laughs) That specifically when Dwight responds, he'll never act again. Michael just throws his head up to the sky and just like puts his hand over his face, just like, oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> and the, just as it progresses, you see Michael just getting increasingly more and more frustrated with Dwight and how yeah. poorly it's going. <laughs> we mentioned this as the clip was playing, but I want to say that when Dwight was, or when Michael was telling his joke to Dwight, What's the difference between a salesman and a saleswoman? Dwight says, a vagina. Michael says, no, <laughs> Dwight. This isn't, a, this isn't an anatomy class or whatever, or sex ed class. Yeah. He says, and it's not the punchline of the joke. <laughs> the difference between a salesman and a saleswoman are boobs. <laughs> same, same thing. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so funny. <laughs> I also love Kelly's, this is karma for what he did to Jennifer Aniston. Right. (laughs) (laughs) 
Sarah's got her uh, her finger to the pulse. Yeah, I know. <laughs> oh, I should also bring up what you brought up to me during the clip hmm. that I enjoyed. That was a good point. That uh, Michael denying Dwight oh, the yeah. ability to see his previous speeches. Just sloughs it off. Yeah, it could be an indication, like you were saying, that uh, another indication that Michael failed. And is insecure about Dwight doing better than him. Right. So he doesn't want Dwight to improve upon anything he's done. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> the, I've never thought about most of those things before. No, me neither. Yeah. That's the beauty of <laughs> pouring over this. I know, right? In exhaustive detail. <laughs> I know. <laughs> oh. I like it. Yeah. Rob coming alive. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> All right, from here we cut to the conference room, and uh, I also enjoy that despite his disappointment over the wallpaper, that uh, Stanley is just completely checked out again, and he's just oh, yeah. buried into a crossword puzzle. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, Michael explains to the group that as their leader and their friend, he requires them to feel comfortable speaking in public, like he has, twice. <laughs> And uh, like he checks to the camera that they saw the plaque. Like oh, that. yeah. <laughs> when it was very, I mean, obviously they did. He spent, you know, right. five minutes explaining about his two consecutive award winning speeches. And I guess he probably did that for the benefit of everyone in the conference room in case they didn't know right. that he had a plaque. <laughs> it's true. He whispers it to the camera, even though everyone can hear him. <laughs> oh, Michael. <laughs> And uh, he proposes that the way they're going to overcome their fear of public speaking is to go around the room and make toasts. <laughs> like Toastmasters. Pam, I'm public speaking. Stop public interrupting me. Actually, this would be good practice for your wedding toast. Yeah, the, the bride doesn't really do... Have you ever been to a wedding? <laughs> <laughs> That's a valid question. Has... Michael ever been doing? I don't think so. I think during Phyllis's wedding, we find out that this is essentially his first one. Actually, I'm going to have to contradict you right here. Okay. It's the second one. Okay. His uh, first one was when his mom got married to Jeff. Oh, right. (laughs) Oh, that's great. Somehow his pants had gotten wet. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I can't wait. Yeah, <laughs> can't wait for that episode. Is that this season or next season? No, it's next season. Oh, that's right. Yeah, oh, it's so good. Soon, 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 very soon. <laughs> um, so yeah, Jim uh, decides he's going to go along with Michael's toast idea and asks if he can go first. And Michael compliments him on his initiative and gives him the floor. And Jim explains to the group that he is going on a trip but has not decided where and would like some suggestions. You should go to hedonism. What is that? It's like Club Med, but everything is naked. I was thinking more like Europe or something like that. But good second choice. (laughs) Yeah, Kevin with hedonism. (laughs) He's very quick with that suggestion, too. (laughs) Yeah, he thinks about this a lot, obviously. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Toby chimes in from the back and mentions that he's been to Amsterdam and, uh, Michael immediately chides Toby and says, that wasn't a toast. He needs to stand up. Toby seems very exasperated as he stands up and half-heartedly raises one arm to the heavens and says, to Amsterdam. (laughs) 
he kind of says it as he's like exhaling yeah. though, like Amsterdam. Putting very little effort into it, like uh, Amsterdam. <laughs> yeah, that was so funny. And uh, Jim asks him when he did that, and he says it was right after his divorce. Jim asks him how long he was there, and he says, "Yeah, I don't know, a week, maybe it was a month, maybe a month. I, <laughs> I can't remember now." And then Creed cuts him off. Yeah, and uh, says, "Jimmy, you don't want to go there." I think he calls him Jimmy. <laughs> I know, <laughs> very familiar with Jim, even though they never seemingly interact. <laughs> yeah, and uh, he would send him to Hong Kong. And then we get a talking head with Creed that we spoke about in the trivia section where he uh, says to the camera he wants to say hi to his friends in China, gives them a shout-out, points a finger dramatically at them after he says hello in Chinese. And uh, from here we cut back to the toast meeting, and uh, Michael has decided that everyone's got enough. It's time for Dwight to show off what he's learned. And we have a clip. Yeah. Okay, Dwight, show us what you have learned today. Good morning, Vietnam! Okay, uh, you know what, this isn't working because um, I'm not nervous in front of them. They're my subordinates. No, we're not. Uh, yes. You are. I am assistant regional manager. Which means absolutely nothing. Michael, can you explain? Well, it's mostly made up. Dwight is not going to do a good job. It's sad. And they're expecting excellence because I did do such a good job. Two years in a row, I killed. It was amazing. (laughs) Confidence, Dwight! (laughs) Short and sweet. Confidence, Dwight. (laughs) So yeah, when Michael shouts that out to Dwight, uh, he frustratedly... Had left the room. Yeah, he throws all of his papers on the floor and storms out after Michael acknowledges that the assistant manager title is mostly made up. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's so funny to have it just spelled out for him like that. (laughs) Right. I wonder if, uh, do you think that under ordinary circumstances, Michael would admit to that? Or if he's just trying to shatter Dwight's confidence in any way possible? Oh, that's an interesting point. This whole episode is just Michael breaking Dwight down. It really is. Poor Dwight. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't deserve it at all. No, he really does not. Yeah. I mean, maybe from Jim, considering the sales, but not from Michael. No. Um. Yeah, poor guy. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, back in the old bullpen, Jim asks Dwight if uh, he could go anywhere in the world, where would he go? And Dwight is very intently staring at his bobblehead, just zoning into it, just focused on it, looking very distraught after the meeting. Is that what it is? He's just trying to distract himself from his anxiousness? I think so. I think it's one of those things that he's not even necessarily seeing the bobblehead. It's just a thousand-yard stare, yeah. just terrified of what's about to happen and nervous and freaked out. And yeah, Okay, that makes sense. I, honestly, going through this episode... I think when I've seen it before, I just assumed that he was like focused on a piece of paper that he was writing his speech on. Uh, but going through it this time and watching intently, I do notice that very specifically the camera has the back of his bobblehead in the shot whenever you see him like staring intently. Right. So I guess he's just looking at the yeah facsimile of himself to gain confidence. <laughs> <laughs> 
maybe try to gain confidence in Angela's, you know, right feelings for him somehow. Yeah. Get empowered by that. Right. Yeah. I can see that. Yeah, totally. I mean, that's, that's the thing. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever it is, he's not doing well. <laughs> no. And, uh, yeah, when he's interrupted, uh, from his staring intently by Jim, he, uh, answers Jim that he can go anywhere except Cuba. And he does plan to go to New Zealand and walk the Lord of the Rings trail to Mordor and then hike Mount Doom. So he just wants Jim to leave him alone. <laughs> and Jim, you know, kind of tries to diffuse the situation says he's just trying to get advice for his trip. And I like that Dwight knows Jim enough that he just goes, oh, please, you're not taking a trip. Yeah. And it's it's almost like, yeah, the kind of thing an exasperated friend would say to Jim in that situation. Like, they just have this weird closeness. Well, yeah. Yeah, I mean, they're not friends at this point at all, but they know each other well enough. Okay. Yeah. You think they are friends at this point? I mean... It's like Holly said, I think she was here. You guys were best friends. Yeah. Honestly, I think if push came to shove and Jim was in a sticky situation with somebody not involved in the office, Dwight would have his back. But would it be because of Jim or because it's part of his Dunder Mifflin tribe for good or for bad? (laughs) Yeah, that's a good question. I don't know. I don't either. I think he would do it if, if anything to have this thing over Jim so that Jim would feel immense guilt whenever he tried to mess with Dwight. So it's like a Gilfoyle and Dinesh from Silicon Valley type of relationship. <laughs> I could see that. Maybe. They find themselves on the same side, even though they hate each other. Right. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Well, that's an interesting question. It is. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, I don't either. Um. So let's see. Yeah, after uh, Dwight calls Jim out, he kind of gives the camera a look. Which now it's my turn to uh, be confused about looks. I'm wondering what your insight is in this because I feel like I don't. I don't know if his look to the camera was him either being like that's ridiculous, like get a load of this guy, or just like eh, I'm gonna mess with Dwight. It's just it's more mess simple. with Jim or well, mess with Dwight. I think it's Jim that looks at the camera after Dwight says that to him. They both do actually, and Dwight's looking at the camera just like ha ha. I just got Jim so good. And Jim's looking at the camera just like, ugh. Oh, did he? I didn't even notice the Dwight, Dwight. look. Interesting. Yeah. Dwight's looking at the camera. He's out, he's out of focus. Uh, but you can still see his face. And he's like looking at the camera just like, ha, 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 ha. Interesting. Yeah. Well, it's good that Dwight's able to have a moment of pleasure in the middle of all of his, you know. I mean, he's. Anxiety. He's really been trotting out the fact that he's won this award to Jim quite a bit throughout the day. That's true. So, yeah. Yeah, but I but I feel like at this point he seems like Michael has gotten his anxiety to the point where It's true. He's not cocky about it anymore. Now he's just terrified of it. Yeah, he's yeah. still able to take some pleasure in <laughs> smashing down Jim. <laughs> right. <laughs> so that's good. Yeah. Yeah. Um so yeah, well anyway, Jim gives the camera a look and turns to Dwight and tells him that he majored in public speaking in college and that what they taught him was you have to be true to yourself. Right. The most important thing, be true to yourself. Right. And he assesses Dwight and says, tells Dwight that he is all about authority. Yeah, you're not a funny guy. You're all about authority. Yeah. yeah. And Dwight immediately is pulled in and agrees. And yes. Yes, he is. <laughs> <laughs> And Jim explains that the great speech tellers of history were not joke tellers. They were men of passion. 
and Dwight needs to do what they did. And uh, he proceeds to tell him that, uh, yeah, after Dwight asks, what's that? He says he needs to wave his arms around and pound his fists many times <laughs> to emphasize his point. <laughs> and then we get a talking end with Jim where he's explaining he did not actually major in public speaking, but he did download some speeches from famous dictators like Mussolini, and he holds up one of said speeches. Uh-huh. Yeah, at this point we see them back in the main room, and Jim is standing next to Dwight and gives him one of said speeches, says that he jotted down some talking points for him to go over. And Dwight says that he'll glance at it. And at this point, Michael emerges and tells Dwight that it's time for them to go. And, but uh, the way he does it, he introduces it to Dwight. He's like, okay, Dwight, Grim Reaper's here. Right. Time to go. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Just really adding on to the dread that Dwight's oh, feeling. Michael's the worst. I know. <laughs> um, yeah, I didn't even catch that or really think about it. So yeah. Good catch. <laughs> and... Uh, yeah, as uh, Dwight kind of panically grabs his things and gets up, just looking like a shambling mess at this point. Yeah. Uh, Angela stands up very stiffly and awkwardly <laughs> and uh, calls out, very best of luck to Dwight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very best of luck to you, Dwight. And Dwight kind of looks taken aback and like, I mean, there's just so much going on in his mind at this point. You know, who knows how much mm-hmm. he's even registering that. Right. And he... Kind of gives her a very awkward thanks. Thank you, Angela. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, the camera, I like that it pans to Pam. Just, yeah. Just rolls her eyes up to right. the ceiling. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, then back to Angela, who kind of just glances up at the camera very quickly before mm-hmm. rushing back to her desk. I think she also catches Pam's, Pam's look. eye roll a little bit. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. I feel like she, I mean, Angela is no dummy, and I feel like she understands that Pam knows what's going on with them. She would not say that to Pam or acknowledge it outwardly, but Mm -hmm. yeah, I feel like when Dwight got his concussion and Pam goes over to accounting. It kind of sucks that she doesn't recognize that Pam's being a good friend by not spreading rumors or what have you. Knowing Angela, she probably sees it as a threat. Like, why is Pam waiting to dangle this leverage over me? What is she going to do with it? Because that's what Angela would do. I mean, it's so true. That that mentality drives me nuts. I agree. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Poor Pam. From uh, here, we cut to the conference room. I also found it interesting. I never gave it much thought until this watch through that the second Michael and Dwight leave for the day. Pam just stops doing any reception work and starts working a hundred percent on wedding preparation. Oh yeah. And has Ryan and Kelly also doing it with her. That's right. (laughs) You know, it's funny. I didn't, I didn't, when I saw that scene, I thought of that, but I didn't register that Michael had left before they started doing it. Ah. But I was sitting there thinking, I'm like, man, she's just got invitations spread out all over this table and she's having, uh, Kelly and Ryan stuff envelopes for her. Yeah, just like not only over the conference room. Not only is she working on this stuff on the clock, but now she has two other people working on this <laughs> stuff on the clock. It's very, very brazen. It is. Yeah, and I like that it's like both for what's coming up and for that it's just good writing because it makes a lot of sense that it's Ryan and Kelly. That Kelly 
she's got customer service as her job, so she's probably able to get away a little easier than most, assuming right. sales is doing their job, their jobs. And uh, she's also super into weddings, so she would be all about being in there. And Ryan, you know, he doesn't want to be working on anything. He's just a temp. Right. So and he unless, would be in there. Honestly, unless he has a specific task that's been assigned to him, it doesn't really seem like he's got ongoing projects to be working on. Right. Yeah. Maybe Kelly just grabbed him and told him that he has to come in there with them and you work know, on stuff. <laughs> this makes me wonder, how many customer service calls is Kelly really fielding? Because it seems to me that if people want to order something, they would just call the salesman who they're used to dealing with. Right. And the only way that Kelly would be getting any calls are for maybe like compliments or complaints. Yeah. I'd say like if the shipment gets botched or, you know, but does that call originally go to the salesman and then the salesman's just like, Oh, hold please. I'll connect you to our customer service department. I you would know? imagine it would first probably go, they would just call the office maybe. It would go to Pam, and then Pam would funnel it to customer service. Interesting. Yeah, actually it is that, because we see much later on in the series that when Pam is trying to get a client complaint, she calls, insults the client, then the client calls reception, asks Aaron to patch them through to customer service, and then they log uh, a complaint. Okay. Yeah. All right. So, I mean, who knows what the client knows to do, you know? Right. But, yeah. I wonder wonder how many of those calls come through, though. Yeah, I would imagine not many, assuming everyone else is competent. Yeah. How many paper orders go awry? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I guess as long as you're not in the uh, six-month period where Creed decides to blow off doing his quality... (laughs) Spot checks at the paper mill. <laughs> yeah. I guess we do see them go awry once in a while. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's a good question, though. So, yeah, anyhow, she is uh, full-on working on wedding stuff with Kelly and Ryan stuffing invitations into envelopes, as he said. Either that or maybe there, it's just the, the general announcement at this point because she was just that too she was just talking about invitations with her mom on the phone i doubt she's gotten her own already that makes sense yeah they were talking about colors so yeah right probably as announcements yeah um so yeah from here uh we see kelly asks pam why she is having the reception at the va and uh pam says that roy has a contact there it's nicer than you would think she seems a little bummed out by it too though clearly not her dream wedding but she's going with it yeah and uh, Ryan picks up, I guess, the announcement that's intended for Jim and seems kind of incredulous when he asks that she's inviting him. Right. And she brushes him off saying, of course, you know, he's one of her closest friends. It's funny how many, it seems like everybody in the office is very aware mm-hmm. about each other's, well, at least Jim's attraction and yearning for her. Do you think Ryan would be aware of it if not for um, working reception when Pam was on vacation in the beginning <laughs> of the year? I bet that's what tipped him off. Because he doesn't strike me as the kind of person that would even care enough to learn about Jim's 
crush on Pam. No, it's true. But honestly, the amount of time they spend together and the amount of time he spends at her desk, I That's feel true. like... That's true. Everybody would even know something's up. Yeah. Even Creed, who doesn't interact with either of those people regularly, definitely knows something's up. Well, it's because Kevin told him. <laughs> oh. Which, <laughs> which one's, one's Pam? Pam? <laughs> so, yeah, from here we cut to uh, Michael and Dwight have made it to the... I guess we found out from the deleted scenes, what was it, the, uh, the Radisson? Yeah. <laughs> Probably the largest ballroom at this Radisson. Yeah. And uh, Dwight looks petrified at this point. He is straight up hyperventilating. He's shaking. Yep. He's writing down his name on a name tag, and he's the pen is just shaking all over the place. <laughs> I didn't catch that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's he writes legibly, but he's trembling as oh, he does yeah. it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay. And... Uh, yeah, he follows Michael, and we just kind of get a sequence of them walking into the conference room, both being wowed by the size of it and the scope of it. I don't uh-huh. even think either of them say anything. I just think they just kind of stare around open-mouthed at everything. No, but one thing to point out is they walk in, and there's, like, no audio or lights or, you know, just normal uh-huh. house lights. Everything seems normal. It's a big crowd, but, you know, everything's, you know, seemingly, uh, you know, microphone on stage, people talk, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. That's it. They take like five steps into this ballroom and all of a sudden the lights go low and you hear this like techno like and then the lights start doing this like flashing and strobing and then this really loud music and the bass is pumping. And And the music I think is, y'all ready for this? (laughs) Yeah. And that, if I were about to give a speech and I wasn't, you know, a regular public speaker and all that happened all of a sudden as I was like getting ready to go up on that stage, I would just be like, Oh my God. Yeah. (laughs) This is intense. (laughs) And I feel like they, the, whoever mixed the audio for this episode definitely compressed the hell out of that bass because it is like pumping and in your face Mm. as, as the episode's going or as, as that scene's going. So yeah, I think fancy sound systems. See, I don't even have the benefit to know that that happened. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so it, it is very, very much they're trying to make this whole event seem a lot bigger than Dwight even had in his mind before walking into the room. Right. So, <laughs> yeah. Nice. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, from here we get back to the office and we see accounting and Angela makes a fairly. Loud, very fake-sounding cough, mm-hmm. <laughs> and stands up and announces that she feels under the weather. And yeah, she's, she's sniffling, too. Just yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. She's going to go home and rest, and uh, Oscar just nods at her, and Kevin is blown away. He mentions he's never seen her take a sick day, mm-hmm. and she responds very quickly and nastily, well, she's seen him take enough for the both of them. <laughs> She grabs all of her stuff and just beelines it out of there. Mm-hmm. And uh, from here, we cut back to the conference center where, or convention center where we have a clip. Next, I'd like to introduce the Dunder Mifflin Salesman of the Year, Dwight Schrute. Dwight, they called your name. Dwight, how are we doing? Okay, you know what? You know what? Okay. No, no problem. You are lucky you have me here. I'm going to cover for you. All right!
Good morning, Vietnam! I am not Dwight Schrute, not at all. I am Michael Scott, his mentor and boss. And until Dwight comes up, if he ever does, I wanted to say a few words about excellence. What makes a work environment excellent? Well, there are many things, I believe, that do such a thing of that nature. And one would be humor. What is the difference between a salesman and a saleswoman? Boobs! <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I love that he just gives the hearty good morning Vietnam and uh, instantly all the applause dies. <laughs> Crickets. Yeah. Oh, it's hard to watch. <laughs> I have a feeling he started both of his acceptance speeches with that line a hundred percent yeah i think that's all he's got <laughs> the only equivalent i can think of is from princess bride where the wedding officiator is saying marriage <laughs> right <laughs> marriage is what brings us together i feel like people who would do that at weddings it's like the equivalent <laughs> of starting a speech with good morning vietnam I got to say my favorite Michael opening. Well, or yeah, actually, because it's also from Bob and Phyllis's wedding, because he explains that if time's not a factor, he likes to try out several openings. Was, uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. Webster's Dictionary defines wedding as the fusing of two hot metals together with a heated torch. <laughs> <laughs> Bob and Phyllis are two metals. Gold metals. Gold metals. <laughs> also... Love how he's stumbling in the beginning of that. How he has to enunciate every syllable of environment. And he gets it wrong. He says yeah. environment. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's funny. Environ. I was I was trying to say it to myself to even figure out how to say it the way he said it. Yeah. <laughs> it's very awkward. Oh, it's great. This, <laughs> that's how we do things of that such of nature. <laughs> Whatever that was. That was hilarious. And yeah, as they cut back to shots of the crowd, we see people just whispering to one another, just waving yeah. their arms. Everyone's fidgeting, just like, oh, God, here we go. <laughs> he is not Dwight Schrute. Not, not at all. all. <laughs> I do love when Michael does that. Yeah. <laughs> Whenever he's like, he says he is something, and then he doubles down, or says he's not something, and then takes it even further. Right. That's a, that's a very classic Michael Scott thing to do. Very much. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, from here we cut back to the office, and I guess we get the payoff. And it's not even the end of it, though, but the payoff of the thermostat joke, where we see Kevin getting water and subtly reaching up and changing the thermostat, as he does. Mm-hmm. And then giggling in a talking head where he explains that he always sets it to 69 degrees. Good one, Kev. <laughs> yeah. I love you, Paul Lieberstein, but come on, buddy. Yeah. Thankfully, we don't spend a lot more time with this. And we have a very short clip of Pam's wedding planning conference again that we cut back into. <laughs> is that what it is? Yeah. A little conference? A little conference in the conference room <laughs> that's true 
Maybe we'll use a DJ. That's the one thing Roy's in charge of for this wedding, but all he's managed to do is set a date. Look, he did a great job. June 10th is perfect. I want a June wedding. I've always wanted one. Ryan, do you know when you would want to get married? Actually, I don't see ever getting married. Oh. Ryan, you should be more sensitive. It's obvious she likes you, and comments like that, they just... I know what I said. <laughs> see, I feel like some people would look at that and be like, ugh, he's such an asshole. But to me, if he's trying to be his true self, and if Kelly likes him for who he is, you know, he's putting it out there. Yeah, I agree with you. Yeah. I was, I was going to point that out, yeah, if you didn't, that... uh yeah, I hope our viewers don't rake me over the coals for this one. But in this context, Pam is uh, kind of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and she really has no place in this. No, yeah. who is she to tell Ryan? Yeah. Like, for one thing, who is she to tell Ryan how to talk to Kelly about weddings or anything for that matter? She has you know no real bearing mm-hmm. or closeness to either of these people. It's true. And, uh, and as you said, he's being true to the way he sees things. Like he should be that upfront. Everybody should be that upfront. Yes. Like what is there to be gained by him being more sensitive and lying, stringing Kelly along? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know what Pam is going for. I don't either. And, uh, and yeah, yeah, it's just, I, yeah. You know, I'm not with you this time, Pammy. Yeah. And, and if, you know, Kelly, if that upsets her, then she should focus her efforts elsewhere. Yeah. Or, or just continue to have fun with Ryan until she has another opportunity with somebody else. Right. So. I, I will say it also makes me see Ryan for the first time in the series as, okay, this guy can be a little cold. But again, not not like in a way that would make me say this guy's not a good guy. No. I mean, he's not, but we don't know that yet. That's true. <laughs> But we've gotten little hints here and there that he's, you know, a bit of a jerk, but yeah, I I feel like in this episode we see, you know, this time and later in the episode briefly, he seems to be kind of getting over what's going on here. Like he's been here long enough that he sees the patterns and the relationships and he's just like, ugh, right. He's above it, but in a very different way than kind of Pam and Jim navigate above it but you know what's interesting is i felt the same way working that office job in college really yeah yeah you just see all these weird little and then dynamics you, but and, then you get out into the real world and then you do start to get other jobs and you're just like oh doesn't matter where you go yeah this that's is just that's just it yeah yep so everywhere is the office and all your coworkers <laughs> are andy Always. <laughs> there might be different phases of Andy, but they're all Andy. They're all Andy's. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. Fortunately, Andy's fairly dynamic. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah, from here we don't have anything to really talk about besides that we cut back to the convention center. Uh, yeah. So we cut back to a very sweaty Michael on stage. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> right back to him, and things are not going well. <laughs> I'm very sorry. I did not know that you were wearing a hearing aid, and I just thought you were speaking abnormally. And now, 
the black guy from the Police Academy movies, a robot. Michael Winslow. Anyone? Car starting. All right, Dwight Schrute, everyone. Good luck. That is a tough crowd. Blood alone moves the wheels of history. Have you ever asked yourselves in an hour of meditation, which everyone finds during the day, how long we have been striving for greatness? Not only the years we've been at war, the war of work, but from the moment as a child when we realized that the world could be conquered. It has been a lifetime struggle, a never-ending fight, I say to you, and you will understand that it is a privilege to fight. We are warriors! Salesmen of Northeastern Pennsylvania, I ask you, once more rise and be worthy of this historical hour. <laughs> I love how maniacal he gets the more applause he gets. <laughs> and I love his face when he first gets his first little spurt of applause right <laughs> he's so impressed with himself mm -hmm. and surprised gets hungry for more i i also love uh wanted to point out at the beginning of his speech that i feel like he stumbles over when he says at a young age when we realize the world could be conquered as he realizes that that really isn't relevant that there's not even a way to really make that <laughs> Like an allegory for what he's saying. I know. <laughs> just kind of looks confused as he reads it, but powers through. It, it makes me think it's the exact same look that I feel like Michael gives when he's the picnic. And he's like, and I've got my reasons written down. Number one, you and I are soup snakes. <laughs> and he just gives it this very confused. He's like, and what I mean by that is that the soups that we both like to... <laughs> That's right. He tries to explain it. Oh man. I uh to be honest, I never caught the line about the Oh, I apologize, sir. I didn't see the hearing aid. I thought you were just speaking abnormally. Really? I never <laughs> caught that before. Wow. That's so was good. Hilarious. <laughs> And yeah, as you pointed out, he is drenched in sweat at this point. Oh, he looks miserable. Just clammy all over. <laughs> <laughs> and the deleted scenes just make it even funnier. Yeah. I wish they had kept at least one or two bits from that in this. Oh, they could have cut all the thermostat stuff out. I know. Just throw that in. I know. Great. Oh, well. Ah, well. What can you do? <laughs> Oh, it also seems worth pointing out, uh, I know I pointed this out to you a while ago, 
not even in the context of this podcast, um, but that I noticed that the logo behind them as they're speaking, the curtains are like a dark red and the logo is done in this very Eastern block looking print. Yes. And yeah, it gives it this very uh, dictator style. Yes. Authoritarian block, rally yeah. feel. Yeah. Uh-huh. It's funny. You pointed that out to me years ago. Right. That's what I'm saying. I remember yeah, talking yeah. about it then, just noticing. And I, I don't even think I noticed until I happened to pause this episode rewatching it and I'm oh really it was what time and get up for a reason and then came back and just saw the flags on either side of Dwight and right the thing behind him and the curtains was like whoa oh, yeah <laughs> he looks like a dictator <laughs> you know what else is yeah he's he's blown up on the screens next to him and right while they didn't have that in the you know late 30s early 40s when a lot of these authoritarian rallies were happening right they would just be large pictures of either Mussolini or Hitler or whatever right was behind there. them. Right, yeah. So yeah, would, right yeah. on. Right. That even adds to it a little bit, too. Totally. I yeah. didn't think about that. Good call. <laughs> <laughs> and one other thing I want to point out before we move on yeah. is I love that he took Jim's advice to heart about pounding his fists and waving his arms. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I feel like a lot of the time... There's only a couple points where his like mannerisms really sync up with what he's saying. (laughs) They largely don't make any sense. Yeah, you're supposed to do it to emphasize points, and he just seems to be doing it randomly (laughs) to like do it for the sake of looking like he's impassioned. I feel like one of them is even when he says when everybody finds an hour or during the hour of reflection, which everybody finds throughout the day, I think he does a single fist pump up into the air as he says everybody finds throughout the day just no logic behind it at all no it's so funny i i feel like it's also similar to uh later when they're teaching dwight to be a gentleman and he just you know once he gets flustered he just starts haphazardly throwing all the lessons in random order of good day sir no i you idiot i you're welcome. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Just smiling and nodding. <laughs> oh, good stuff. Yeah. Dwight's the best. <laughs> All right. So from here, we cut back to Jim in the break room, not the conference room. <laughs> and he is with Oscar and uh, Oscar's telling him about a timeshare he has in Key West and says it might be available. And uh, Ryan walks by and overhears their conversation asks jim if he's so he's really gonna so you're really gonna go and uh jim says that he is and ryan keeps going and under his breath says uh all right you know send me a postcard Mm -hmm. and very skeptical tone you know what's interesting is right after he says that line jim kind of looks at the ground Uh, almost realizing himself that this is a little bit of a stretch for him Right. Yeah. I, I, I never caught that until this last watch through. I was like, oh, Jim yeah. kind of took that little statement to heart. He knows it's true. He didn't really he didn't really do it when Dwight, you know, razzed him about it. But the fact that Ryan, someone who only knows him for a brief period of time, is even even understands that this is quite an undertaking for Jim. Right. Jim kind of realizes like, wow, maybe he's right. I guess with Dwight, even though he did uh, change the subject immediately, so, it's true, and he yeah. did give that look that you were, you know, kind of wondering yeah. about. So that could be it a little bit too. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, everyone's got his number. Yeah, and uh, that includes Ryan, who, in a talking head, proceeds to explain that 
Jim has worked in the same place for five years, and he eats the same ham and cheese sandwich each day for lunch. And if Ryan was a betting man, he would bet that Jim's going to have a fun weekend in Philadelphia. (laughs) And uh, from here we see a shot of Jim standing in Michael's office, spinning a globe and uh, stopping it with his finger and then checking to see where it stops. And he's also got his finger on Scranton, so he's kind of looking to see how far away. Oh, good catch. I did not. In the world, it is from him, yeah. Nice. I did not spot that at all. Yeah. Very cool. Um, So, yeah, from here we have our final clip of the episode where we cut back to the convention center. The (laughs) end of Dwight's speech. Yes. No revolution is worth anything unless it can defend itself. Some people will tell you salesman is a bad word. They'll conjure up images of used car dealers and door-to-door charlatans. This is our duty to change their perception. I say salesmen and women of the world unite. We must never acquiesce, for it is together. Together that we prevail! We must never cede control of the motherland, for it is together that we prevail! funny to me how enthralled and engaged all of these people in the audience are when there's things in this speech that like by any stretch of the imagination you couldn't relate it back to your own life right yeah what is seeding the motherland yeah what is the motherland <laughs> what are they even talking about maybe that's the beauty of speaking through pure hyperboles it can really be whatever you want it to be yeah whatever the person listening wants <laughs> I will say from my experience in the business world that uh, business people do love to be compared to warriors. Mm. Big fans of that. Sun Tzu's The Art of War is one of the top business books in the world and has always been. Right. And uh, he certainly did not write that, meaning it to be an allegory for the business world. No, of course not. (laughs) I mean, chapters of that book, I I used to own that book, I've read it, are just straight up about troop movements and, you know, where to position people on a battlefield. Wow. Yeah, huh. but salespeople can look at that and see how that relates to their job somehow, you know? Right. Yeah. Position five longbows on the right side flank means, you know, always be closing. I mean, I guess in the 21st century, that is the functional equivalent. I guess so. Well, we still have battlefields, though, too. Well, it's true, but I suppose when it comes to, like, regional, more localized... yeah. happenings you know a lot of the ruthlessness that takes place is within the business world it's true so i mean later in the series we're gonna see michael and dwight stage a hostile (laughs) takeover of a little mom and pop shop yeah invasion and takeover right (laughs) yep (laughs) poor prince family (laughs) um so yeah after uh oh i also meant to bring up uh that during the clip uh, we see Michael mm. slinking out of the auditorium. He stayed until, you know, Dwight's speech really starts picking up steam. Until he had every single person in that room participating in his call and response. Right. <laughs> like, <laughs> damn. And yeah, Michael slinks out. We see him go to the bar and get some whiskey. 
And we still see clips of the office staff messing with the thermostat. That's right. For no reason that I can think of. Yeah, this time, the last one I think is Creed. Yep. Yeah. And uh, that's just happening. So, yeah. Weird. (laughs) We cut to Jim over at Pam's desk, and it looks like he just finished telling her that he settled on Australia based on her reaction. And she says she's really excited, and she always wanted to go there. Or she doesn't say that, but she is very excited. Yeah. And uh, he says that he's going, and he's a little nervous to bump up to Dwight and his connecting flight to Mordor. (laughs) But other than that, and she cuts him off. uh, Or no, well, he says that, uh, yeah, he already bought the ticket, and it's non-refundable. Pam asks him where he's planning to stay. He says, you know, he hasn't really worked out the details, but he feels like he has plenty of time. Mm Mm-hmm. And she asks when he's leaving, and he says June 8th, two days before her wedding. And uh, he doesn't specify two days before her wedding, but obviously it is. And she gets taken aback, and he apologizes and, you know, says he knows it's bad timing. And things get very awkward between them, and they kind of stop talking. He offers to take down some mail for her if she needs, and she declines. And uh, that's that. Yep. A little icy. A little weird. Yeah. So uh, from here, we cut back to the convention center. We see Dwight leaving the auditorium, and uh, people are coming up to him as he walks out, and they're you know clapping him on the shoulder, congratulating him, shaking his hand. Yeah, he's like a celebrity at this convention. Yeah, and he's soaking it all in. He's loving it. He's having a great time. And it's, I gotta say, after the treatment that he dealt with for Michael the entire episode, it feels good to see Dwight oh, yeah. win one. He deserves it. Totally deserves it. Yeah. And uh, we see Dwight make his way to the hotel bar where Michael is sitting, and he uh, notices him and asks what happened. And, you know, uh, (laughs) Michael says he got thirsty and Mm -hmm. asks how the rest of the speech went. And Dwight tells Michael it was amazing. He wishes he was there. And Michael matches his excitement and tells Dwight that he wouldn't believe what happened at the hotel bar. And uh, Dwight gets very excited about it, because, of course, it's Michael. Yeah. And Michael proceeds to tell Dwight this very long and very boring story. Super mundane. Yeah, about a woman coming down from her room and trying to get a drink and charging it to her room. And the bartender asked for her ID. And Michael thought it's weird, because she looked like she was, like, in her 30s. And Mm -hmm. just this whole thing. And then how she left, and she hasn't come back. And that's it. Yeah, that's the story. The whole story. Yeah. And... It ends with uh, Michael's, I guess, punchline that she's probably up in her room getting drinks from the mini bar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, Dwight thinks this is hysterical because he's Dwight. Mm-hmm. And he's just sitting there laughing. And then we get a final talking head with Michael to close the show where he says, word on the street is Dwight gave a great speech. But he entertained Dwight to no end with his bar stories. So, in the end, he captivated the guy who captivated a thousand guys. Can you believe it? A thousand guys. <laughs> <laughs> and that's it. <laughs> and I love that just that simple act, Michael all of a sudden views himself as a bigger man because right. it's almost like he captivated a thousand guys. Right. It was his <laughs> success in the end. Yeah. Actually, not Dwight's. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah. Who else could have entertained Dwight endlessly with his bar stories? <laughs> and that is the episode. That it is. That's all she wrote. That it be. Or he, in the case of Paul Lieberstein. That it do. 
Yes. Yeah. So, uh, I've got nothing else to say. Do you have anything else to add in terms of analysis? If I do, I'm going to bring it up in my ratings. 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 Hey. What you got for us, Rob? Right. Yeah, I'm first. I'm I'm ready. I'm ready right to do gate. this. Let's All do right, it. here we go. Here we are. Out of the gate, All I right. give this episode Dwight's speech seven and a half canceled wallpapers out of ten. Wow, yeah, That's lower than I expected. It's lower than I was expecting too. Before going into it, yeah. So we already brought up the thermostat story plot, right? That I wasn't crazy about, didn't go anywhere really, didn't add much to the storyline, didn't parallel anything in the storyline. Mm-hmm. So it was just kind of wasted time, I felt like. And other than that, while I really enjoyed watching Dwight's journey throughout this episode, for me, watching it by myself at least, there was... Only a few times I would laugh out loud. Yeah, fair enough. I would say this was an entertaining episode, but it's definitely not the funniest of The Office episodes. Mm. With that being said, my MVP for the episode is Dwight. Of course. I mean, it kind of has to be this time around, (laughs) in my opinion. And I love how this episode showcases Rain Wilson's acting range. Yeah. And it's he's on a roller coaster this entire time because he starts out... Very cocky, taunting Jim with his newfound, you know, spending money mm-hmm. from his cash reward for for this award. And then Michael takes him down like five pegs right off the bat. Yep. <laughs> and just keeps chipping away. Keeps ch- taking him down one peg at a time right up until Dwight has to give the speech. And... Rain Wilson just does an amazing job convincing you that he's legitimately nervous. Yeah. You know, that he's not great at public speaking. I feel like most of the time, Dwight has this unwarranted confidence in almost everything he does. Mm -hmm. And here we get to see him venturing into territory that he is very uncomfortable in. Yeah, it's true. So I really, I just really enjoyed watching him. That whole time. And then at the climax where he's giving that impassioned speech, you're just like, wow, he's really, you know, his, his, his pounding of the fists for emphasis may not be timed very well, but he's still getting my attention and the attention of everybody in that ballroom. So yeah, I just, I, I, I think this was really kind of a character expanding episode for Dwight. And Rain Wilson handled it with a plum. I dig it. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, it would have been higher if there was a couple more laugh out loud moments. And to be honest, watching the deleted scenes right before doing this, I really wish a lot of them had made it into the episode. And I may have given it a higher rating if they had, because they were legit, like, laugh out loud, funny moments. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. 
There you go. They that's took my some stuff and replaced it. Easy. Yeah. That whole thermostat shtick, honestly, they shouldn't have been so afraid to give that much screen time to Michael and Dwight because those deleted scenes were money. You know, thinking about it, too, as much as I hate to say it, I feel like they, even though I included a clip of it, just because maybe because this episode is somewhat lacking in content, um, I feel like I could have done without the Pam and Kelly and Ryan wedding planning stuff, too. Mm Mm-hmm even without the Kelly Ryan interaction, because while it does tell you a little bit more about both Kelly and Ryan, not so much Kelly, but Ryan. Yeah. It's nothing that we don't find out in spades shortly enough. It's true. And, uh, it's nothing that really expands his character all that much. It's just like a little tidbit. Right. So yeah, could have fit even more of those deleted scenes in. I think it it makes me realize how much I appreciate the episodes where they lean heavily on the whole ensemble and not just on the main characters. Right. And I I mean, don't get me wrong, there are episodes focusing on one of the main characters that are fantastic, but Oh yeah. Largely I get the most joy out of this show when everybody's involved. Yeah. Yeah. Really, cruise. Yeah, really like the people versus Michael episodes. Those are always it's about the people. The people. <laughs> yeah. All right, so now it's on you. What's your rating? Um, you know, I had a rating in my mind, <laughs> and then you gave yours, and it made me reassess my rating. Okay. As it has done in the past. Mm-hmm. And uh I have a question for you. Shoot. Are we are we allowed to do like, you know, Point increments besides point five. So far, I think we've only done full numbers and point five. I mean, you can do whatever you want. I just I feel like whenever I do a point five, I'm I'm leaning between a seven and an eight, and so I just end up okay. putting it in the middle. Can I do something with like a point three with a line you over do, the three? You can do whatever so you like want. Three you can get infinity, whatever fractions, that means. imaginary numbers, whatever Ooh, you need. Imaginary numbers, <laughs> negatives could enter into this. Yeah. <laughs> All right, well, I don't know if I'm going to go that crazy with it. Maybe we should keep it simple. Whatever you uh, want to do. But yeah, you gave this episode seven and a half, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That was canceled wallpapers, mm-hmm. I believe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I uh, think I'm going to give this episode... My original rating was going to be eight and a half. Mm-hmm. You made some very compelling points. Mm-hmm. And I didn't realize my disdain for the thermostat until I brought it up and we <laughs> dove into it. <laughs> And uh, I think I'm going to go a little lower than you, actually. Okay. I think I'm going to give it seven uh, pounded fists. All right. Ten. I was leaning that way, too, but I, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love a lot of stuff in the episode, and uh, but a lot of it kind of falls flat. Yeah. And I would say Dwight is also my MVP, yeah. for sure. Mm-hmm. I would say maybe Jim be a runner-up MVP, if that's a thing. Okay. Because uh, he really contributes to the hilarity involving Dwight more than anybody else. That's true. Supporting MVP. Right. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Give Jim that. And uh, yeah, that's that's all I really have to say. I, I feel like I would like to give more of an analysis, but you really nailed it with yours. <laughs> yeah, I've true. got nothing to contribute. One more thing I do want to add is, and I think we both can agree with this, is that we didn't really realize how the, like to the depth of which Michael was essentially trying to sabotage Dwight that whole time. Right. Until we both sat down and just like talked about it. 
and that he clearly didn't do that great with his speeches. I mean, which we see in practice, but even before that, right? Because he just keeps bringing it up over and over and over again how great he did to the yeah. point where there's it's clear there's no way he did well. <laughs> it's true, and yeah. I never would have put that together before. Right, I really wouldn't have. Yeah, no, me neither. Yeah, I'm glad we talked about me it. Me too. There's one other thing I want to bring up as well um, that has nothing to do with ratings. Okay. But I am realizing that we forgot to bring it up, which is partially on me. I didn't mention it in the outline that mm. I wrote. But um, after Angela leaves to go sit, to, to go home and take a sick day, we see her show up at the convention center. She's standing in the back of the room filming Dwight as he gives his speech. That's right. And is smiling supportively and enthusiastically as it goes well. Man, that's so weird because I've... There's only there's only a video of it though that's never right. really touched on. No, no, I know. Yeah. And but I've I've noticed that in previous watches for whatever reason I did two watches for this before recording this and I didn't catch it either time. It's very brief. It is. I believe also we can I'm not 100% sure so we could go back and watch if you want to and check but I believe I noticed, not in this watch-through, but in other watch-throughs, that before Dwight finds Michael at the bar, we see Angela in the background walk past Michael at the bar. And when she spots Michael, she covers the side of her face and quickly moves past right. him. Right. So that I he missed doesn't that, see too. Her. Yeah. Man. And again, that stuck out to me when I've watched it in the past. Right. But this time around, it, it just... Yes, that's the hazards of taking notes when there's a small visual gag yeah. that's very brief. You could miss it. It's very true. Huh. I'm glad you brought it up, though, because I, you know, I wouldn't have even thought about it. Right. Nice. Hmm. I think we covered all these bases. It kind of gives me an idea. We could talk about it not recording. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, covered all the bases. I'm glad we got there. Got there in the end. Now I'm excited for this to finish so we can I can hear your secret uh oh. secret plan. <laughs> you might hate it. I don't know. We'll All right, see. paper people. Good, <laughs> good hanging out with you. We'll see you next week. Bye. Yep. Social media, you know, you know the drill. <laughs> Later. <laughs> no, but seriously, uh if you want to reach out to us on social media, we uh have our links in the show notes. Yes. We newly added our email in there. Not sure why it wasn't in there before, but it is now. So, And we've had a number of people reach out to us via email, and I, I, I enjoy it. So It's great. Outofpaperpod at gmail.com. Rob will write you a book. <laughs> Apparently. I will write you a pamphlet. <laughs> we'll see where it goes. Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, I got nothing else to say. Do you? you have anything? Yeah. I was... I was Race car noises? No. <laughs> I was thinking about trying to get all fired up and end the show with an impassioned speech style. But oh, well. <laughs> now, it, now it's gone. Everyone just pretend I did that. Yeah, let's do that. <laughs> what are you about, Rob? I've known you for a long time, and I would not say you're all about authority. I'm not all yeah. about authority. I'm all about small communities policing themselves and everyone playing a role and... Fairly bartering and it's that's, very specific. It's the kind of world I want to live in. Oh, cool. <laughs> <laughs> well, I dig it. <laughs> yeah. That's never going to happen. No. But I'm not sure where it lends itself to an impassioned soundbite speech. But, no. Yeah. Uh, I wouldn't espouse those, those views. We'll work on it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. More of like a Native American style. Right. Society I would enjoy. Maybe without all the war between tribes. Right. Yeah. 
but I mean, I was thinking for what you're all about, more like humor or like you know chillness. But oh well, when you you said, took it in a much more specific direction. When you said authority, <laughs> well, I that's was, what Dwight's all about. Well, no, I know, authority. but then I started thinking about my own views right. on authority and fair enough. Yeah, I think I'd rather not have a centralized, overbearing government enforcing the law, but rather just small communities doing it themselves. And you can still have a... Well, this podcast is eventually, you know, we're doing this to gather a following to start a rural farming community. That's right. Are we not? Yeah. Isn't that what it's all about here? (laughs) Paper people... Commune. (laughs) Workers of the world unite. Exactly. (laughs) Love it. I I do love that sentiment. Now I'm getting creeped out. (laughs) All right, right, everybody. It's been great. Carrie just got here, so we got to go. Bye, everyone. (laughs) Oh, Carrie made it in the podcast. Her first appearance. Woo. You know what this means, Carrie? Next week, you're guest spotting the entire time. Yep. We're going to push back recording so we can catch you. (laughs) (laughs) All right, everybody. We'll catch you next week. Have a good one. Take it easy. Y'all ready for this? Out of Paper is not endorsed by DLD Productions or NBC and is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. The Office, the Office logo, and all character, pictures, and audio of The Office are registered trademarks and or copyrights of their registered copyright holders.